0: It's time for Tom Girl with JJ Jurgens. Tom Girl, a different
1: breed. Tom
0: Girl, Tom Girl. Hi, and welcome to Tom Girl, where we talk all things sports, entertainment, fashion, and adventure. Tonight's guest is an actor starring in the upcoming Antoine Fuqua project, Free Rayshawn. And you've seen her in many other shows, including True Detective and Life Sentence. She is also the author of the book, Life Letters, and host and producer of her very own podcast, That One Audition. Welcome to the show, Alicia Oxy. Yeah, I feel like Cheers, there should be right? a crap. I'll <laughs> oh, that stink. in <laughs> Yeah, we'll put that in later. That'd be great. <laughs> Thank awesome. you for having me. Thank you so much for coming. I am just enthralled with everything that you're doing, so there's so many fun things that we can talk about. Yes, we could be here for hours. Yeah. Love it. Well, first, let's talk about your upcoming new, the new project you have coming out April 6th.
1: Yes, Free Ray Sean. It is the one of the first drama series for Quibi, which is Quick Bites. I just figured out what Quibi meant, literally, in all their promotion. That. It's Quick <laughs> Bites of television shown vertically or horizontally, however you want to watch on your tablet or phone. And I, I mean... These projects kind of come across your desk, your desk, your pseudo desk as an actor. Every five to six years, you mentioned True Detective. I haven't had that kind of feeling with a project since until mm-hmm. Free Sean. So basically, it's Lawrence Fishburne, Stefan James, and it's a hostage situation. It's very relevant with race relations and, I would say, the police situation that was very mm-hmm. current before Trump took office and took over all the news. Mm-hmm. So it's just... It's a really action-packed, intense thriller drama where you're trying to figure out who's the good guy, who's the right side. And what I love about the storytelling of this so much is you get to see everybody's perspective. So as an audience member, I think you're going to feel really pulled in different directions and hopefully understand everybody's perspective differently, whether that's from the police department, victims, um, people that feel like they're in entrapment of some sort. Like, It's a really stunning project that I just was floored to be able to be a part of. And I played the district attorney, which (laughs) is a big girl role for me. I haven't (laughs) gotten to play with that much power and intention in a character before, so I'm so excited for Uh, this to come out.
0: So that's D.A. Sarah Foreman. Yes, D.A. Correct? Yes. So how do you relate to that character? Oh, at the time,
1: I say this often, especially on my podcast, at the time that roles come into my life, it's usually something that I need to learn. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to be a master at that earlier on. At that time when that role came in, I think I was scraping by and trying to figure out my power and my anger and how to effectively use my voice. District attorney, a district attorney has Mm -hmm. so much responsibility and so much power and um, really is sitting on a moral dilemma constantly and trying to evaluate how you feel about something and then doing your job. So for me, it was a really interesting role to dive deep in and I feel like with every role, it's never done for me. So even Mm -hmm. after it was done, uh, after I finished completing that project, so many other uh, lawyer and and like district attorney roles have been appealing to me because I understand a different point of it now. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, sure does, yeah, yeah. So, and then go ahead.
1: No, does yeah. And you shot in New Orleans. We shot in New Orleans, mm-hmm. all over New Orleans, which definitely gave it a very—it's another character
0: mm-hmm.
1: completely. The city is, and also being a district attorney in that area was a very interesting. Um, research to do, because usually with films and television, you're not necessarily filming where um, maybe that plot actually takes place. And there was a lot of similarities to life imitating art and art imitating life, Mm -hmm. shooting that in New Orleans and having it be very relevant for that culture there. It Mm -hmm. it was, yeah, Yeah. it's juicy and good food and all the things (laughs) and all the things.
0: You talk about the research there a little bit. What kind of research did you do for this role in this project?
1: Um, every character for me, I do a little bit differently. So I kind of like to build them from the ground up and their psychology. And then I actually have a few fabulous women in my life who are very powerful attorneys. So I was constantly <laughs> hitting them up. A girl I went to high school with, I found her on Facebook. She's actually a district attorney. She gave me a lot of information when I was getting the scripts. That's the other thing, too. This project it will be really interesting to see how it all comes together because scripts were being thrown out and rewritten every night. So as things were changing, I had this Rolodex of lawyers to go to and say, would I say this? Because I feel like how I would feel about it, because that's one thing, how I feel as Alicia as a non-district attorney person who has a moral compass. And then what's the law behind it? So I was researching the law, not only just uh, general law, but also in in New Orleans, in that place, and just really trying to figure it all out and on the fly as it's changing. So. I was doing my best just to pull in from people that I knew and then do my actual emotional cognitive work with the character mm-hmm. itself and allow it to influence. And thankfully, everybody that they hired was very collaborative,
0: mm-hmm.
1: insanely collaborative. And it was really great to go to set with the backing of those women in my corner saying, no, you wouldn't say this, you'd say this. So Mm -hmm. I was able to go to the writers and directors and say, as much as you want to give me this scene, I was taking away lines, actually, because I was like, this this wouldn't make sense. I can't make this call Mm because I want this to be an impactful, I want my part of it to be just as impactful so that anybody's watching it, they're not going to bump, being like, oh, a district attorney wouldn't say or do that. So we were all kind of trying to bring forth the best to make it as intense and real, Mm -hmm. as it is so that people that are watching it are affected and maybe affected enough to make change, whether that's in the political system, in the police department, whatever it may be, however Mm. it affects.
0: I love how in hearing you talk about this, you kind of took charge. Well, not kind of. You did take charge of what lines you were saying. And you had the courage to go and and say you wanted to change those and your reasons why. Have you always been liking that in your career? Or was that something you've kind of grown into as you've... Experience. I've experienced. Yeah, definitely grown into mm-hmm. it.
1: Definitely grown into it, and definitely from talking to several hundred other actors and being like, "Oh, you can do that," and also just being sitting and and observing a lot. I loved being on this project. Lawrence Fishburne's number one. Mm-hmm. What could you glean better than? watching somebody who's been working for 50 years. And I think the last 15 years I've gotten lucky to get on set every once in a while and just do my job and stay in the corner and observe, observe, observe. And mm-hmm. I think in or- it's a collaborative art form, storytelling. If it's done in a collaborative way, then we're going to put forth the best project. Me silencing my voice or being like, oh, wait, mm-hmm. I shouldn't speak up or say anything. It's my face on the product. Mm-hmm. So even though somebody might be watching it and they're not going to say, oh, a district attorney would never say that. God, the writing was terrible. They're going to put that face with it. So I I started taking ownership around my creativity that way and for the responsibility of the story. I really want to make sure that um, what I'm presenting, what I am um, allowing my vehicle, my instrument to be a part of telling the story is in some ways accurate or as much representative of the higher purpose Mm -hmm. of that character or the project. Mm -hmm. So when I have that voice, it's not, and I can take my ego out of it, and it's all how you approach things, right? Mm -hmm. I, you know, kind of wait for the right time and wait till we go through rehearsal and then kind of go over and just be like, hey, or even before, I just don't know if I would say this. I think, you know, so-and-so in the scene would probably say it. Or, you know, I always also make sure to have a solution for the problem because the director has 5,000 other things they're thinking about. And what I realized was Seath Mann on this project who was amazing. If I came to him and I had, an ide- I had an idea or I had something that I wanted to change and I had the idea, it was met with, oh, yeah, 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 let's do that. Mm-hmm. Let's try that. And then it just it – was a, it, I was able to grow more in my mm-hmm. creativity. And Lawrence. Lawrence yeah. is the master of all – he's a seamstress. He's a craftsman in a different level. So every morning when he came in, how he presented himself and his ideas and his changes or how his – it was – Um, something that I definitely want to emulate. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that courage and this character gave me that power. I was not, I was not a funny whore or a track whore or I hate to, like, I've played a lot of women that don't have power. This is the first time I had a lot of power Mm -hmm. in my role. So I think it gave me again, learning lessons, what I needed to learn. It gave me that power to say, Hey, as Alicia, I think we should maybe I want to suggest
0: this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how has that role now stayed with you past the shooting or has it
1: yeah in a lot of ways I mean if I'm watching the news or if I'm talking what it's really done is a lot of my girlfriends that are lawyers I have so much respect for them and understanding of the law so there's and understanding of my power she practiced you know when people practice law there's There's like a vision and an action. And sometimes there's passion in there, but really it's about law making. So I think as an artist, I'm trying to bring in the vision and the passion, which I innately have. And then what's the action? Mm -hmm. Like this character is action oriented. So I just, I take something from all my characters. So I'm trying to really like sit in that power and what do I want to create? What do I want to change in the industry? What Mm -hmm. do I, how do I make that happen? Mm-hmm. That's from Miss mm-hmm. Foreman, from her, from her. Yes, I'll take that from we her. We
0: talked about Lawrence Fishburne, and then there's other wonderful actors. Talk more about the other actors in this project. And oh, Stefan
1: James, I didn't get to work with him. Um, they, when people see it, he, he was kind of shooting on his own with. Oh God, I'm going to blank on her name. I it. Ron Cephas Jones' daughter. What's uh, Jasmine. Jasmine. Ooh. Oh, she's on fire. She is so good. I got to go to set one day and watch her work. That was incredible. Annabeth mm. Gish. Annabeth and I have been friends for 12 years. We go to the mm. same workout studio. The first movie that I watched, that one of the first movies where I was like, I think I can be an actor, was Mystic Pizza. Mm, yep. <laughs> so that then one. we became friends. And then she did an interview for my podcast. And we just kept getting closer and closer and closer. And then she got hired. So to watch an idol and a mentor where I'm working every scene with her and Lawrence, that was incredible. I got to watch two insanely talented people and a mentor of mine play tennis. It was a lot of pinch me moments where I was Mm -hmm. like, am I here? (laughs) Oh, wait, is that my line? No, it wasn't that bad. But there was definitely in between like cut and action where I was like, I was very quiet. I was just really observing and taking it all in. Mm -hmm. But it was incredible. Yeah. And just watching... Seath Mann as a director, watching certain producers, how they, and how they're developing this whole new concept for storytelling, Quibi, just mm-hmm. even seeing how they all did that. It, it's really, it was a special, special project. Special.
0: Well, speaking of your wonderful co-stars, you, you've we've had, the, over the years, worked with many, many wonderful people. And you've had Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> Lucy Hale, yes. you know, uh, Leslie Mann. Tell me about, I mean, there's so many to go through, but just some of maybe your favorites or ones that really stick out in your mind of great projects. That oh, my gosh. On to
1: people. Well, definitely Matthew. We have to go there because that was that was also that was the first time I think that I got called up to the varsity Leaks to play. And the first day of shooting, it was just the scene with Matthew and I. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm wor- I'm working on HBO and it's just me. And Mr. McConaughey. And I walked in and it was definitely a moment where I could not keep the words from falling out of my mouth. And definitely made a fool of myself. And I was like, how am I going to regain this? And I had really, it was the first time I had had six weeks to really invest into a character too. So she was so in me. I was so protective of her. So once I calmed down and was able to work with him... It was, I watched the osmosis of Matthew McConaughey comedy star really shift in front of me because this was before Dallas Buyers came, came out. He had mm-hmm. come from shooting da- Dallas Byers Club straight into True Detective. Neither one of these projects had come out. So here is Mr. McConaughey as a totally different vibing mm-hmm. human who wants to be taken seriously as an actor. And he taught me so much in that room that they, by saying nothing. He stayed in character between every take... Mm-hmm. Twice in the room, I got, good take, kid. Do that again. And that's all I would get. But then when I came back to that project, um, a sizzle reel had been sent off to HBO. And it was a four-minute sizzle reel. Three minutes of that was just Matthew and I. Wow. And I feel like I had earned his respect from the blubbering girl to like <laughs> somebody. So then he was really encouraging me. And I got to, I think I was so, Lucy was so alive in me. Like even now I can flash to memories of her trauma or her situations, like memories that I lived out as her. So getting to go back and play with somebody that was taking his craft also so seriously, mm-hmm. every take we were kind of encouraging each other, mostly him encouraging me, go further. Mm-hmm. He's like, I like how you touched me here. You can do that. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Like it just was such an it it allowed me to really fly in my creativity and not be this quiet person mm-hmm. and, and really take root in, oh, I said I wanted to be an actor, and here I am acting with one of the greats, even before yeah. people were even giving him that accolade. So that was just, I yeah, I dream mm-hmm. about that moment mm-hmm. all the time. I want to mm-hmm. replay it. Lucy was the most dynamic, number one, to learn from that I admire that's younger than me. She commands a set in a way that is the most beautiful and relaxing She takes care of everybody on a set, top to bottom. Our last day of shooting, one of our last, yeah, the last episode of Life Sentence, I was wrapping my character up. She was writing like 383 thank you cards. Wow. And there's certain things that I think she has so much respect for Mm -hmm. the industry. And is she so humbled with humility of understanding that she is in a privileged situation? She does not take a minute of it for granted. And I just love that. And mm-hmm. she is... So, can I cuss on this? I was you sure me. can. She's so fucking brilliant. <laughs> like, it would be like one of those, They're like, okay, in this scene, it's going to call for them to cry. And we'd always joke on set. We're like, Lucy, which eye are you going to cry from? And which tear... Like, from this side or this mm-hmm. side? Like, she just could turn it on. She could be in the middle of joking with us. And then all of a sudden, she's... In this moment, hilariously cute, and then crying. She's a she's hmm. a force. And then Leslie Mann is Leslie Mann. Like, come on. I I, I love her so much. <laughs> I had accosted her in a Starbucks a year and a half before I worked with her. And then when Nick Cassavetes called and very generously offered me the role, he's like, do you want to come play, kid, for a day in New York City with Leslie Mann? I was like, yes. <laughs> and I told him the story about me. Me, like I literally got my Starbucks and I turned around and she was standing there and I was like oh my god and she was like oh my god I was like I love you yeah, what you're doing for women in comedy I had a whole monologue that came pouring out <laughs> of me and it was the only time I think I've ever tweeted in my life where I tweeted later I was like made my day the man <laughs> and then she tweeted back you made mine and like described the thing and I was like What? So then, when I got on set, Nick was like, "Oh, Leslie, do you remember Alicia?" And she was like, "Yeah, Yeah. so nice to meet you." And I was like, "It's okay, no, you don't like." And I was looking at Nick. I was like, "Do not tell." He was like, "You guys met at a Starbucks." And I was like, "Shrinking." Here I am shrinking. I'm like, "Please don't say that." Before I like to like I like to work with people first, get their respect, and then joke around. I don't want to come in. I know how how I am perceived, so I want to come in. Yeah. And earn the respect and then laugh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then I had to work on getting her respect, which I got by the end of the scene. But it was like, I'm not that girl, but I am that girl because yeah. I did do that. But I love that you let it out like that. Oh, you know, I mean, I could I couldn't help myself. I, I do it when people come over for the podcast. I'm like, I love you. We quote it's, you all the time around here. And yeah. then I'm like, oh, did I just make them uncomfortable? <laughs>
0: So you're better. I had my, like, Adam Sandler is one of my favorites, and he was, I was walking, this was years ago, and I was walking out of the work, and I had to come back in for a night shift, and of course I'm looking down, and I see this dog first, and I'm like, oh, and then I'm like, oh. and I scroll, you know, look up, and it's him, but I was the opposite. I, like, couldn't say a single word. He was like, hi, and I was just like, oh. <laughs> just started out everybody's like why couldn't you i'm like i couldn't literally form anything uh,
1: that's what happened when i worked with michelle monahan on true detective because i had had her as my screensaver for five and a half years he's mine too <laughs> yeah that's awesome i and so, working on True Detective, every day I worked, I was like, "Is Michelle on the call sheet? Yeah. Okay, am I going to tell her today how much I love her and how much she's changed my life?" And then she came up and tapped me on the shoulder when we were at lunch one day. I Didn't know she was there, and I turned and she's like, "Hi, are you playing Lucy? I love what you're doing with the character." And I was like, "Give it, give it, it!" That's all that came out was this y- like yipping, yipping. What uh-huh. would you call it? And then when she came on the podcast at the end, I was like. Remember when we worked together and I had no words? I was like, these are the words in which I wanted to
0: right. give
1: to you. And then she was able to receive them. Thank God I got that like redeemable moment. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's like, it's, it takes the breath out of sure you. It sure does.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk. When did you decide that you wanted to become an actor?
1: Three. My daughter's age. Yeah. Um, I don't think, I didn't know what acting was. And I say that on the in therapy all the time and on my podcast. I didn't, I just knew I wanted to be in the TV. I don't know if that was, you know, I've had years of therapy of like, is it because I wanted to escape? Is it because whatever it may be, it was a very interesting upbringing where I was I grew up in uh, up till age eight in Ferguson Missouri and I wasn't allowed to like play outside so I was always daydreaming I was staring out the window daydreaming we had a hallway of mirrors on both sides so when I would sit there when I was three there'd be like a hundred of me Mm. and I just was fascinated with human beings and story and Annie was my favorite movie and I just I wanted Daddy Warbucks to save me Mm -hmm. I wanted to be one of those like orphans and then dancing and just expressing. There was a part of me that didn't want to stay quiet, but then also in the quiet was even observational at that age on how that affects other people. Mm -hmm. And I watch my daughter do it now. And I think in a lot of different ways, um, I didn't speak a lot about wanting to be an actor because I knew somehow it made me different. And And in some ways, I think it was... It's, you know, not as supported as being mm-hmm. like, I want to be a doctor when I grow up. It's just not. Yeah. So um, I just, it was always in me. I mean, I, in kindergarten, I think my mom found a piece of paper and ex- that's exactly what it says. Like When I grow up, I want to be in the TV.
0: So it's just always mm-hmm. been there. Mm-hmm. And how did you go about pursuing that dream? And I mean, every
1: which way that you don't do to pursue that dream i started playing sports because my dad had two girls and you know to get my dad's approval i was playing and i was good at them so then i continued to invest in that i when i went to high school i was like oh okay i think i'm i remember even going to my neighbor's house being like should we try out for drama i would really love to do that and then i realized if you did drama then you couldn't i couldn't play soccer and do track and so then i was like okay well i'll just keep burying it down and then I blew my knee out at age 18. My best friend died six weeks later. Oh. Um, and I had this, like, huge identity crisis. And then I was like, OK, all right, I'm going to do that, that acting thing. And then I applied to the weirdest colleges, nothing to do with acting, to chase a boy. Because mm-hmm. I think at that point I needed, I was chasing that love. Mm-hmm. Um, Ended up going to school at the University of Kentucky. Started the theater program there. You um, started the program there? I did wow. start in the program there. And then nine eleven happened in my theater class. And I remember thinking, what the fuck is happening? Why am I sitting here being a tree? And then I just got out to L.A. as fast as I possibly could. So I took mm-hmm. 27 hours one semester. I got out in three and a half years, like right after that. I And then I got here and I learned along the way, by taking with every single acting coach I could possibly think of. Um, and I learned on the job, which I think cost me a lot of jobs mm-hmm. and a lot in my reputation, which is why I think it's good for me to have the podcast for pe- anybody that's learning that didn't have the support. Like, Also, not to date myself, but I had dial-up internet. So being a girl in Kentucky, being like, I want to be an actor... There wasn't, like, I couldn't talk to my neighbor, or I just was not as privy to the information on how to do it. My mom had me in modeling, which was not ever going to be it. Like, I just, it didn't feel right. But she was trying to do some things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I literally have learned by making a gazillion mistakes Mm -hmm. and kind of keep trying to... Figure out how to do it. I don't think there's any right way to do it. And I think my um, worthiness and my comfortability with saying I want to be an actor had to also grow with my experience and my mistakes Mm -hmm. and really owning it. I love people that come onto the podcast that really owned it or had a beautiful mentor. Every single person I've interviewed, whether it's a teacher or a parent or an aunt or uncle or a grandparent, was like, I see you. I see what you're trying to do. And I had really, really young parents. And i it just was a lot of different things that weren't in the cards for me in that way. Mm-hmm. But now seeing my daughter, I'm like, how beautiful that she came through me. Because mm-hmm. no matter what she wants to do, whether she wants to be a writer, director, animator, costume designer, musician, anything creative, I think it'll be so fostered because of the road that I've mm-hmm. paved. And my mom was in banking and my dad was an engineer. It just yeah. there wasn't oh a, a knowledge of that mm-hmm. and for them that just meant i was going to starve and die wanting to be an actor mm-hmm. so yeah it's been a long journey yeah
0: i think that is hard for the creative fields because you know the other jobs there are little checkpoints or things that you can do that you know okay you're on the right track and you're getting that feedback or you know okay you do this and then this happens but that's not the same same with acting and creative jobs all the time but
1: i think it is do you yes here's the thing that i've been preaching about on the podcast i do think it is With the right recipe. If you want to – like we parade around our kids being like, oh, my God, they want to be a lawyer. They want to be a doctor. Okay, let's take doctors for example. How many hundreds of thousands of dollars are they going to be in debt? How many years of schooling, 12-plus years, and they're going to come out with a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt, and then they have to do this whole thing? What's wrong with telling a child who's a creative person – you know, a musician or whatever, be like, oh my God, you're going to be a musician? That's so great. It's probably going to take you 10 to 12 years to really pop and it's you're probably going to be maybe $30,000 in debt or $100,000 in debt. But I think if you keep at it and you're good and you see like little um, lights on your path along the way, then great. Good luck. Like, good luck. I think it's just changing it.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: I'm trying to change it with my daughter. My daughter did her first job, not because I put her out for auditions. Literally, she direct booked something. And I used that as an opportunity because she loved playing there. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, you're making money for this. You're making money because somebody wants to utilize the way you look to sell a product and that's your job how great that you're getting paid for an energy exchange I'm trying to change Mm. it so we're not like the starving artist it's Mm -hmm. like no the heavily financially abundant artist
0: (laughs) I like it shift that energy yeah (laughs) because
1: what could happen if we just put that energy into it yeah I love it
0: Mm -hmm. what are some other things that you've learned along the way like ways to shift that mentality for actors you might might be helpful
1: Oh, the lack mentality, which I think I'm still dealing with on certain days of um, the puzzle piece. Any creative job, you know, I going back to music, like I'm not even musically inclined, so I don't know why I'm using this. But if all of a sudden you're like, oh, we don't, a flute's not going to work here. Let's use the, you know, like I think maybe the trombone would be great here. I think when you start looking at your creativity as not a rejection, but it's a selection process, you stop beating yourself up we as artists get beat up by society and then we beat ourselves up because we're not they're we don't get picked or we get rejected on a daily basis. But I'm trying to look at the quote-unquote daily rejections as karma building. I'm like, oh, I didn't get that one. Okay, well, I'm building more karma, mm-hmm. karma. Or what was my intention going into that? How can I gleam from that what my intention was to make me feel good and not walk out and feel like, oh, nobody likes me. Mm-hmm, I was just mm-hmm. saying this in therapy today. So I think it's, selection not rejection um and i'm constantly trying to remind myself of that because i several times i would have quit and um Two years later from like a job I auditioned for, I'll see somebody at a party and they're like, oh, my God, you auditioned for me for this thing. And you were hilarious. You were the funniest Mm. person that came in. And I left that audition and I didn't get it and I didn't hear anything about it. And I thought, oh, I'm not funny or I'm not Mm. great. And then two years later, I get validated. And then I go back in my brain. Oh, that misery I caused myself for two years being yeah. self-involved thinking that like oh, they don't like me no mm-hmm. they moved on they cast their project it's not a big deal you did a great job who cares why mm-hmm. can't we just flip the switch and think positively and be like, oh i did a great job i just wasn't the great fit moving on because the negativity is what crushes creativity yeah. that self-doubt that seeps yeah. in there I, I i get how people are like oh but when i'm depressed or sad i create so beautifully that's different when you're sad or in a state of depression than being um, insecure. Mm -hmm. They're too totally, Mm -hmm. you absolutely when you're sad, create, write, go within, Mm -hmm. do all the things. That's where some of the best artistry comes from. No good artistry comes from being insecure because you're clammed up, you're not collaborating. So I had to learn that Mm -hmm. and I'm still learning that and I'm trying to tell everybody that comes up just that. And on the podcast I did this whole one thing about intention. What you can do as an artist to set an intention for whatever experience you're going to have, whether that's an audition or a meeting, a pitch meeting. Okay, I want to go in and I want to discover something. So when I come out, I have a meter to gauge myself for for that intention. Did I discover something in that audition? Oh, my God, I did. Mm. How great. So then it doesn't matter about getting the validated result of being Mm. hired. It's just being in the moment of the experience. Mm-hmm.
0: And gaining whatever you can from that, being in there. Yeah. yeah. You've talked that you go been to therapy. What are some of the other things that you do? Are you a meditator? Tools to keep your, your body ready and prepared for auditioning? and.
1: Yes, but I vacillate. So I'm trying to be totally transparent about that. There'll be like months where I'm so good and I'm doing mirror work and I'm meditating and I'm writing. And then there's months where I just need to go for a walk and breathe because I'm so busy. Mm-hmm. So... Breathing is my number one. Having a moment of stillness before I do anything is the n- number two. Doing the artist's way. If I'm in a good cycle where I'm doing the daily dump, three page purge, I am infinitely more confident about the direction in which I'm going. So I don't have to do as many checks and balances with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, So that and I think just really utilizing my instrument, whether that's working out, doing voice work, um, resting, like I think as a creative person, especially nowadays with social media, you feel like you have to like be on on social media, in TV, on film, in this (laughs) interview, all the things. And then you don't give your at least for me, I drove myself into the ground and I didn't give myself time to sit and let the soil get hard, and then let it loosen, and then plant some new seeds. I, I, yeah. I'm trying to be better at having cycles of extreme rest. I'm, I'm coming out of a cycle of like four month rest.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great because you're right. It is constant. It's yeah. social media and everything now. There, there isn't that break that kind of we used to have be, before no, a little bit. Not at
1: all. Yeah. and there's no anonymity. I always make sure to say that right mm. with an artist as much anymore yes. or any any profession in in the world anymore because you have to market yourself and if not somebody else is going to do it better Mm -hmm. so then how do you give yourself the guidelines to not sell your soul or have your value be and once again the validation of people coming back and commenting on your Mm -hmm. picture Mm -hmm. or commenting on your movie or the critics or like why are you doing it i always i think you have to always go back to the why reset and and do the like seasonal thing Which is weird because we don't have seasons in L.A., although kind of we are right now. But I'm trying to have emotional seasons. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like for the last four months, I was in winter. Mm -hmm. Winter, I was sad. I was depressed. The days were shorter. I didn't have as much energy. And instead of judging that cycle, I was like, okay, well, what's after winter? It's spring. So let me really hibernate so I, I have the energy for spring. Love that.
0: And renew. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Then how do you also manage the kind of marketing side and business side of your acting career?
1: Huh. We're trying to get better about that. <laughs> um, how do I manage it? Jeez. Yes. I have a team that is wonderful. Casey's here. Hi, Case, my publicist. Hi, Casey. Who's been really <laughs> great about that. Um, I do rely heavily on my managers and agents. I've just started to understand that relationship. And use it as team based and not hierarchy based, meaning like, oh, my God, I'm so glad that you represent me and me coming to the table being like, hey, I have X, Y and Z that I want to create and I want to know what's a good game plan and how do we do this and how do we market it to be the best that it can be? Um, I'm really incredibly grateful for the platform of the podcast because it's created a community around me for me to to um, gleam and emulate other people and how they're doing it. Mm -hmm. And then also create an amazing team around the podcast to help with marketing, which in turn is helping with acting. I think it's all kind of funneling together Uh in some ways. So the podcast has helped immensely with my acting and my confidence, but also in my relevancy in the industry. I feel like people... Um, are hearing me versus seeing me and giving me a different type of respect.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I've used that as a marketing tool. And now, after this crazy pilot season that didn't um, f- birth any fruit for me at this moment, at this moment, it's, I don't think pilot season's over, but I've used the community of the podcast to then I'm like creating a shorts competition right now because I want to mm-hmm. act in things that get me excited. Mm-hmm. So that's another marketing tool. Like I always say to every actor, um, you have to you can't wait for somebody to make something for you in this day and age. You have to make something for yourself. So how do you use your community to to market and to kind of up level everybody to put out the best story? Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel like and I also took out. It's very easy for me to market when it doesn't have to do with myself.
0: I totally understand that one. Do you know? Oh, I totally do. Yeah.
1: So having the podcast and uplifting other people's careers or I shouldn't say uplifting. I don't think my show uplifts anybody per se one way or the other. But highlighting Mm -hmm. certain careers that I'm like, wow, I want to learn from you. It's allowed me to be more out there. Mm -hmm. As Alicia, because I'm promoting the podcast or I'm promoting Mm -hmm. these great projects or I'm promoting a different way of thinking about creativity and artistry Mm -hmm. to to help other people so that we can have better storytellers. So I, I kind of am looking at the marketing as not so much. Me, even if uh, yeah. like I have a marketing team. And when we post something on social, if it's a selfie, there's usually something we try to either be humorous about it or deriving an action from it. So it's not just like uh, good for Kim Kardashian, but I'm not that girl. <sighs> it took me a long time to kind of embrace that part of mm-hmm, the marketing. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Oh,
0: yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's definitely difficult, I think, to just put pictures of yourself up all the yeah. time for a lot of people. But well, especially know. as an actor, where yeah, I'm like,
1: you kind of have to be a little bit anonymous. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also put yourself out there so people can see you in a different way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's like such a fine. Yeah. thread of, yeah. I don't know if I'm doing it great. I'm learning. Yeah. I'm learning.
0: And I would also say that your podcast is uplifting. I listened to a bunch of episodes before tonight, and I really thought it was. I thought it was motivational and you know, great energy, uplifting stories. So I think you can say you're oh, uplifting people. I'm hoping it's, so, yeah. because you hear about all the other stories that either, you either hear the horrible
1: stories, yeah. or you hear about people, of the 1% who are winning Oscars. Mm-hmm. What about the working class artist mm-hmm. and why does it have to always like why can't it be like that is so cool yeah. that that happens because yeah. usually it is yeah
0: yeah the stories are great let's yeah let's dive into talking about this podcast so it's called that one audition yes. and tell me how this got started for you <laughs> <laughs>
1: you didn't listen to the first episode did you? <laughs> i didn't
0: listen to the first one no i should have listened to that one huh I, I jumped into the middle ones it started because i farted in an
1: audition
0: ah! <laughs> <laughs>
1: love it <laughs> not once uh, but twice, while running in a bikini, next to another woman who looked like Giselle. That's awesome. I literally walked into a room full of men. It was an axe callback. I jiggled my way to one side of the room I had to run next to her it was this whole thing my body made a noise I have never heard before in my life (laughs) I was in a comedy class at the time and I looked at Giselle because we were shoulder to shoulder like running for this thing and I was like oh wow and then I was gloating because I was like well Giselle Farta not me (laughs) and then I did it again and I turned bright red and Giselle sauntered out and booked that commercial I had to walk jiggly over to the other side pick up my cover up and leave the room in which everybody erupted in laughter. I <laughs> wish this tape exists. I'm sure it does, but it, who knows where it is. But I went to my acting class that night. And who was in my class at the time? Army Hammer, Abigail Spencer. Like, there was a lot of really great people Good that class. we know of yeah. at this time and age. And they were, uh, we were all coming up. So everybody's sharing in the group, like, oh. I booked a series regular today or I'm, you know, testing for this or whatever. I'm like, so great. And they got to me and I was like, oh, I farted. And I auditioned <laughs> today, not once, but twice. And then it erupted into this whole conversation about mostly bad auditions. But I had this light bulb moment of like, why does nobody talk about this? Because if I knew how much other people were failing on the day-to-day yeah. basis or recovering, because it's not about the failing, it's how you recover. I think I could I I would be really tickled by that. Yeah. So then I started it as a book and it was going to be 101 most unforgettable auditions and then I realized in the trans transcribing of it I was like oh we're losing, like, Kevin Farley's voice of him telling a story about him acting like a dog on a coffee table when Leonardo DiCaprio walked in and was, like, giving him shit. Like, you lose that kind of essence of, of the actor, of the person. So then it, I introduced it as a podcast, and then we were able to go into a long-form conversation, and I could really dive in between the audition stories. Like, how do you recover from that? And what did you do? And how long till the next time that you worked? So that we could pull back the curtain on this you know, like posh bougie career that everybody else puts on a pedestal that we're all kind of suffering from on a day-to-day oh. basis because, one, people are putting us on a pedestal being like, it's Hollywood. And you're like, oh, my God, I farted in my audition. Yes. And <laughs> I'm not even going to get paid for that. Like, you know, they, they had to... I, and I also wanted to derive an idea for children that are coming up to, instead of emulating... You know, the Leonardo DiCaprio's of the world because they're superstars emulating them because they're human Mm -hmm. and they've made mistakes or they've failed and then they recovered and now look at them. Like even like I listened to the interview that Oprah did with The Rock and he was talking about how he had seven dollars and he called Mm -hmm. his production companies like seven bucks or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think it's really good for people to also understand where people come from. So that's how Yeah, I, it always comes back to flagellation, guys.
0: <laughs> I love it. And before we go, just because you shared, I will share one of my stories from my past. Just, a fart story because we all have this. But I love that you blamed her because so when I was in like, I think it was like third grade. we had, Did you have the organ trail growing yes. up? Yes. You had to play on the computer. Yeah. So this, my best friend and I were kind of uh, in the ad- advanced part of our class. But we oftentimes got separated from the rest of the class. So we got put in the back to just play organ trail. So we were doing that and the whole class is going on. And all of a sudden... I farted and it was like the loudest thing, and I have no idea where it came from. And I was like, oh, and I did the same thing you did. I looked at her and I was like, Mandy, <laughs> and the whole class laughed at her and blamed her. And I can't believe I did that, but it's. She's still my best friend, which is crazy that she didn't just like you know. Thanks for taking one curb. for the team, yeah. Mandy. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so I love that you blamed Giselle and you. <laughs> I mean, I was really
1: really proud of my impulsive improv right? moment at the time to be like, "Oh well. I mean, if if somebody looks like Giselle and she farts, that's funny." Yeah. For me at that moment in my self-confidence too, I was like, "This is not going to go over great." <laughs> but I uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then it spawned this. And I've been mm-hmm. doing interviews for literally 10 years. Yeah. Like that's also I always share this story too because I don't I don't take myself too seriously. Yeah. And if you don't take yourself too seriously, you have no idea what could spawn yeah. from a mistakable moment, an embarrassing moment, a failing moment. That's where you kind of – it's the phoenix, right? Yeah. That's where
0: you kind of rise sure. and however you respond to that. Well, and that's probably great for you as a host on the podcast, though, too, because you make people feel comfortable because you, you know, aren't all you, – you admit things like this and you're it's vulnerable. Only, yeah, it's yeah. the only
1: way people are going to learn. I do not – ace every audition i've had several auditions where i'm like what did i just do Mm -hmm. and we're human beings so for us to be so cracked up cracked open and vulnerable there's going to be some like not favorable things that come through and i don't want people to judge themselves on that yeah i'm trying not to
0: talk about some of the guests you've had on the show maybe who have been some of your favorite interviews or little any stories like that little tidbits that you just love that you've heard over the years
1: Paul Edelstein is one of my faves even before it launched as a podcast he literally he has I've told him this to his face too he kept me working he kept me working as an actor even when I wasn't getting paid to work as an actor he told me this amazing story about Shonda Rhimes how he literally got Grey's Anatomy and he couldn't do it he had to turn the pilot down three years later he got private practice. He didn't work for another 10 months. Gray's came out. It was this like massive thing. And just the way he told the story, he was so deeply vulnerable. We're sitting on an Abbot Kenny having a coffee. And literally right that day before I met him, I was like, I'm done. I'm done with this business. I think it was 2008. 2000. It was still early in my oh, career, wow. and I was just exhausted. There's so many of those people on the way. Carmen and Jogo. Carmen and Jogo, last year, before I got Free Rayshawn, the day before I interviewed her, I went to the beach. I cried for three hours, and I was like, "That's it, God. I guess that's it. Like, I don't have it in me anymore. And if I don't have it to be this artist or to continue to like fight for this, and I was a new mom and just everything, mm-hmm. it's like I, I I don't I can't do the podcast either because if I quit acting, what relevancy do I have? And my husband was like, we should still do that interview tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, I can't cancel on Carmen Njogo. I mean, she'd just done the third season of Tree Detective. I love her. She came. She gave this beautiful interview. And at the end, I started this process where I started, like, mentor me questions. And I Mm -hmm. asked her very, like, openly. I was like, I just feel like I haven't hit. And I'm in my 30s. And as a woman... And she was like, girl, I didn't get sparkled till I was 38 years old. Mm She's like, you're just getting started. And just, and an hour later, I got the call that I got free race on. Wow. And then my husband was like, never again (laughs) are we doing this cycle of going to the beach and crying (laughs) and letting things go. We know that this is going to continue on. So there's stories Mm -hmm. like that. Um, Josh Baton, who's... He is one of the best working actors in Hollywood. And a lot of people like you might not even know him by name. He is tested for more shows. He has been one of the best actors I've ever seen. He gave one of the best interviews. And it's amazing to watch certain people like that start to pop Mm -hmm. and be able to hear their whole journey and how many. And we were friends. We we waited tables together 17 years ago, so that was a beautiful one. Macad Brooks, super spiritual, yeah. super mm. spiritual. We went super deep. Uh, Lucy was a great interview. I Listen mean, to that one today, Michelle yeah. Monaghan. I mean, she was my 50th. Like you can't get better than that until you get Lawrence Fishburne as your hundredth. <laughs> like there was just so many. Sometimes I go back through and I scroll and I'm like, oh my god, I forgot I interviewed them. Mm-hmm. Every interview for me, especially too, after I do it, is my favorite. With the exception of like two or three, I'm like, oh my god, I needed to hear that, that one thing, and so anybody that's on my show, I I have a deep love and affection for, and I stalked them for like at least a week before I interviewed them. So don't you feel like you <laughs> yeah. know people? Yeah. You're like,
0: I know everything about yeah. them. We're best friends. <laughs> and then you do sometimes a little recap afterwards, like you're on Wednesdays, your wisdom. Really
1: yes. Yeah. So my team going like throwing it back to like marketing and team last year, I had a beautiful team for the podcast, Paige Patterson, Maya Butler, uh, Andrew Christopher, L Powell. They kind of came to me and they're like, you know, people want to hear more from you. And I'm like, no, they don't. And they're like, yes, they do. Like and I started thinking about it. I was like, OK, maybe I could do a shorter episode. What would I talk about? And after like I just said, after every episode, I'd be like, oh, I really needed to hear that so then I would go back in in Wednesday Wisdoms and kind of riff on that mm-hmm. thing. And my therapist also helped me. She was like, you have been doing this for 17 years. You have a lot of value to give to people that are starting or even in the middle of their you know, career or even coming back to their career. So I think it took my ego a second to understand my worth in that. Mm -hmm. And I love them. Mm -hmm. I'm loving Mm -hmm. them. One, and I say it all the time on Wednesday Wisdoms, me sitting down and being on mic and flowing, it's kind of like I'm freestyling. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, I'm like, oh, I really needed that again. It kind of sits in differently. So I do the Wednesday Wisdoms as much for the community as it mostly is for myself.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was that part of the, the fight trying to tell yourself that you do have something that you could People want to just tune in yeah. and just hear you and what you have to say.
1: Yeah, I think as an actor, too, there's so much of your value that's put into the results. So I'm like, oh, if I'm not working or I always have this idea, like I had a whole, idea, a whole plan for life. I was going to get a, you know, be a series regular. Then I would be a mom. Then I would start directing. And then I would start giving back to the community and helping people that are coming up that are having a hard time. So now look at my journey. I fart in an audition. I start a podcast. I have a baby. Then I start... <laughs> working a lot more um my value comes from the mistakes that i've made and if Mm -hmm. i want to be able to serve my community what better way to do it now as i'm living it just like when i have guests come on i like them when they're in their um as they would put it maybe like when they're sitting on shore waiting for a wave Mm -hmm. you know and waiting Mm -hmm. to go back out it's the best time to interview somebody so i'm i'm kind of doing this as Um, A way to help the community for where I am right now. And as I grow, hopefully it'll get even better. And also also for my daughter. Mm -hmm. I do it for my daughter so she she can see the work that it requires to be a creative person and also the joy that can come with it Mm -hmm. when you create a community and you're helping just as much as you're learning. Mm-hmm.
0: Love that. And how fun will it be for her to be able to go through and listen I to all these? I thought
1: about that. Yeah. I like, well, who knows what's going to happen in the world, but hopefully this will be like a little treasure chest at mm-hmm. any point that she could dip into. And I talk about her so mm-hmm. much. I mean, I think two weeks ago or the week before, I was recording a Wednesday Wisdom and then she came in and she was like, hi mommy and I was huh? like I'm on mic like <laughs> I'm like do you want to say hi to everybody
0: yeah. might as well put her get Just, her used yeah, to that as well it. you know right. you're gonna co-host soon right yeah. exactly well another thing that you have that she can look at is you also wrote a book let's talk about your book
1: yeah once again I did not intend to write a book um, I was in a really dark place I had called off a wedding. And um, went on my pseudo honeymoon with my best friend and hiked Mount Sinai. And it was interesting because the whole ride over there, I wanted to prove to him that I was the the right person, even though I called off the wedding. Mm -hmm. My brain went into this like abandonment place where I was like, if I could just get him to love me the way I want him to love me, we'd be great. We'd be great. Mm -hmm. Not realizing like I needed to love me. I didn't know myself yeah. at all. And I was right in the beginning of my Saturn return, like all these weird, I'm very wooey mm. and witchy. So I hiked up Mount Sinai and I was like, I'm I'm going to write him a letter. I'm going to write him a letter every day I'm here so he understands me. He gets me. <laughs> the guy just didn't get me. It's fine. We're <laughs> friends. Um, and then the hike down, all of a sudden, I was like, oh, this process is is for me. Oh, mm-hmm. God. Okay. So it's just, it's called Life Letters. It's a, a letter. Gift to yourself on a monthly basis, and how you set it up is in the book. It's fifty-seven pages. I never intended to put it out as a book, but I made such a huge transformation in that year that all my friends were like, "Hey, will you just? What did you do? What was what was that letter yeah. thing that you were doing?" So then I started. I was giving it out to people so much that I was like, oh, "Okay, I'll just put it in this little thing." And at the end of that year, my husband, my now husband, who was a friend at the time, my Love language changed because I started loving myself Mm -hmm. and then how I saw him change. So at our wedding, I published the book, self-published the book for all of our guests at our wedding and gave a really beautiful speech. And now it's on Amazon. So whenever people want. And what I love about it is it's 57 pages because. I don't call it a self-help. I call it a self-motivational book that you can pick up at lunchtime. You can read it and be like, cool, I want to do this process. It's going to take me a week and give me a gift for the rest of the year. Or be like, cool, don't want to do it. Because mm-hmm. there were so many self-help books because I'm that girl. Mm-hmm. And I would yeah. read them. I'd get to chapter three. I wouldn't finish it for the rest of the year. So you're just procrastinating and helping. You're like in a place of need but not yeah. taking it in. So I just wanted it to be like, this is just, it helped mm-hmm. me. If it helps you, God bless. Amazing. Amazing. And it's really nice. I get these nice letters every once in a while. And somebody's like, hey, I'm I'm doing a history month right now. Or I'm doing a love month. And I just wanted to say thank you. Like, you've changed how I'm loving myself. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that was a gift. That was I was open to receive. And I feel like spirit yeah. or whatever you want to call yeah. it, universe, gave me that gift to survive that moment. And I think I'm kind of that girl where I like to do things, survive a moment, and then figure out how to like mm-hmm. put it out for anybody else that might mm-hmm. want to. Use it as well. Yeah.
0: And I know that you're into science and things like that from the universe Mm -hmm. as well. And I had heard that your um, now husband, you had told yourself, okay, uh, this year I'm going to have to go on. Anybody that asked me on a trip, I'm going to go on a trip. And Uh then the friend asked you on a trip.
1: Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah. He was my roommate. Like this is very, we were very intertwined in a way in which I wasn't, we weren't trying to, we worked together, we were roommates. I tried to set him up with my sister and all these other things. And then we you know, changed our relationship a little bit. We had very expensive rent in Venice for like his closet, I guess, because, but after like a month of us dating, I was in the month, I was in travel month. People will know if they get the book what this means. Like it was my travel month and I'd written myself a letter at the top of the letter it said, if anybody asks you to go anywhere, it doesn't matter who it is this month, you must say yes. And about, I think a week after I opened that letter, he's like, do you want to go to Israel? Mm -hmm. And ironically, the year Prior, when I wrote the letters, I had hiked Mount Sinai in Egypt. And on the plane ride back, the, f- the thing I said to my best friend, I was like, I want to go to Israel next. It's my next place. I want to go. Oh, that's awesome. And then he asked. <laughs> and I said yes. And then when we were in Israel, we were like going up an elevator to meet his whole entire family. Yeah. And he looked at me and he was like, oh, my God. I'm like, oh, yeah, we're doing this. I'm going to go <laughs> inside and meet your family. You sit here and have a moment. Because I think when he asked, too, it might have been a flippant thing. And I'm like, do you want to go?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and then here we are. And um, now is the um, reality
0: of meeting the family and all mm -hmm. of
1: that. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. So, yeah, I feel like I used life letters as a high, the capital S self to influence the self, the Mm lowercase self. So I think if you can get yourself into a space of being open and hearing that voice and truly loving yourself like a partner would, like how you love a partner, Mm -hmm. um, I do believe in science and I think that the universe will deliver for you. I think you Mm -hmm. set an intention and then your attention is looking for that intention. Mm -hmm. And then you'll see it. Like maybe that all would have still worked out. But since my intention was on traveling with anybody that month, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: when he brought that to my attention, all of a sudden I was like, oh, yes. Versus deliberating on it or causing, I I just think Mm -hmm. the universe works in such a beautiful Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I always say intention and then attention and then you'll see it.
0: Mm -hmm. Any other ways, because you're navigating a career that can have, be a roller coaster or ride, any other ways to kind of just, I don't know, get through things like that and, and transform your life or be open to change?
1: I'm so bad and with then, change. That's what I'm working yeah. with in therapy. Um, just to be open. I do... <laughs> I do my best to go through the seasons like I was saying earlier. So just to be able to go with the flow as much as possible. I think since becoming a mom, I can set an intention for what I want. Like I had a, a discussion with my manager an hour ago. This is what I'm my intention is for this year. I'm going to I'm going to look for the attention to see if it actually comes to fruition. But also being a mom, I have to like bend like a tree Mm -hmm. in a horrible storm because every day I feel like it's a storm. And It's like, oh, is it slightly raining today or is it a (laughs) fucking tornado? Um, And the less rigid I can be the easier so I can just drop into the moment mm-hmm. I'm trying to be as present being a mom makes you so mm-hmm. present so I'm just trying and, and not having that negative self-talk or if that negative self-talk comes in it's like okay great thank you but no thanks mm-hmm. so I I don't even know if that's a direct answer to it mm-hmm. I just think you have to be and, and it's a work in progress mm-hmm. constantly
0: so when you're not writing or acting or doing the podcast, all of those things, what kind of things do you like to do? Are you adventurous, sporty person? I'm,
1: I love travel. Mm-hmm. I love it. I really love it. I love games and I love reading. Like I really just, it's very rare. And I just love really, <laughs> I'm very, I love witchery things. Like I love investing into the universe and seeing how it pays back. Whether that's like going to Sedona or sitting with rocks or being in nature or being around other women. That aren't gossipy, mm. but that are um, up leveling and kind of curious about expansion versus um, contracting and being smaller. Like last night, like I invest a lot in my girlfriends and just really? being more being a really good woman for my daughter as much as possible. So whatever activity that feeds that. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, mm-hmm. dance. I love it. Yeah. Dance, dance. Is good.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, I wanna thank you so much. It's been so fun having you on this show. I'm like, oh, we're done? Show. I know. I I keep talking forever. I'm like, let's keep going. <laughs> I know. Well, maybe we'll have you back for round two, mm. you know?
1: Yes, Six. I'd love that. Six.
0: Well, tell everybody again where they can follow you at and also where they can watch your new show, all the details.
1: Okay, so Quibi, Free Sean, Quibi is going to be a streaming app. I think it's, as far as I know, it's just like all the other apps. I think it's going to be $2.99 or $4.99. Don't quote me on that, but there's some streaming thing. Um, and that comes out April 6th. They're launching the whole entire platform. 50-plus shows, I think, are dropping in that first day. So that's exciting. Will
0: will the whole season come out as once or is it going to be an episode? I don't know. They haven't told
1: us anything. So I don't know because also they're like six, seven minute episodes and I know there's I think 15 or 16 episodes. But if they drop them all at once, it's going to be a movie, which Mm -hmm. Antoine, by the way, this is one thing. Antoine Fuqua gets the rights back to it after it releases on Quibi and he gets to cut it. And he's going to release it as an international film. So people will see this project in kind of two different ways. That's
0: really cool. Which is really cool. I'm Mm -hmm. super excited
1: about that. Um, And then I have a couple films kind of trickling out throughout the year. She's in Portland. Hopefully we'll find a home, I think, in the next month or so. And you can follow me at Alicia Oxy, A-L-Y-S-H-I-A-O-C-H-S-E. And at that one audition, on all social, and we're on, my podcast is on everything. Apple Mm -hmm. Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere, Mm anywhere you listen to. And on your
0: website as well. And on my Mm website.
1: Oh, and for people that keep writing in, yes, every single episode is on my website. For some reason on certain platforms, you can't scroll past 50, which is Mm -hmm. weird. So I've been trying to put that out there in the world. You can jump onto the website and get it all, which is Mm
0: alishoxi.com. All right. Well, you are fab- fabulous. Such a pleasure having you such on here. So I can't wait to see just everything else in your career and how it just soars. So you're such a great spirit.
1: Thank you so <laughs> yeah. much. Thanks for having me. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks, everybody, for listening again. I would JJ. You can follow us at Tom Girl TV on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. See you next week. Bye bye.